Okay, good morning, everybody. Bill Lester here with Hernando County Extension, and welcome to this week's virtual plant clinic. I'm here today with my regular co-host, Lily Browning, our Florida-friendly landscape coordinator or manager. I'm not sure exactly no. what. Program coordinator. Okay, program coordinator. I knew that she had a cool title, so. Yeah, it's very long. <laughs> okay, very long and important sounding. And today we finally have special guest BJ Jarvis. Good morning, BJ. How are you? Good morning. It's good to see you all. Great to have you here. BJ was supposed to be with us last week and we had that hurricane come through. And, and no power. I, yeah. <laughs> I did go on and I did a show by myself because we had power and we had internet and there were quite a few people on. So I guess there yeah. a lot of other people still have power and internet and were available, I think I sat here and answered questions for like an hour on everything imaginable. So hopefully people have lots of questions for today because BJ is with Citrus County Extension. She's the um, County Extension Director. And why don't you tell everybody basically what you do up there in Citrus County, what's your, what's your area of responsibilities are? Okay, well, I, I get to be a jack of all trades. So I'm the county extension director, as you mentioned, um, also the horticulture agent. And so under that also falls master gardener coordination. I have a wonderful group of volunteers who help me reach out to the public and uh, share great information with, uh, with our area citizens. So we've been a little stymied with COVID, but we are like you guys, we're, we're chugging along and trying to help people the best way we can. Same here, and I see we, I have at least one of my master gardeners on here this morning. Good morning, Wendy. How are you? And hopefully we'll have more, not just master gardeners, but other people from the general public. You know, we have a large number of fairly regular people that tune in. We do. And the strange yes. thing is they're from all over the state. They are. Duval County, uh, Miami-Dade, uh, yeah, the whole South Florida, North Florida, all over. Yeah, so I got I've been getting quizzed on tropical fruit trees and coconut palm mm -hmm. air and things that I'm just not I don't normally encounter here in Hernando County. Not too many coconut palms here in Hernando. A lot of Pinellas people too. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the great thing about um, extension is that there is a presence in every county. So some things are pretty universal. Um, it doesn't matter where you're from. So if you're talking about say propagation or something that's no difference in uh, south florida is up here but then if you start talking about certain uh, plant groups then you know the plant material definitely changes particularly uh the further away you go we had a program the other day and had someone on from um from the bahamas and was asking about some plants that i had never even heard of so <laughs> you have to be nimble and i uh so uh but yeah um, it's great that people join us from other places, but they definitely do need to tap into their local office, maybe because sometimes timing can be different. You know, mm -hmm. you may do things at um, one time where it's really better to do it at a different time someplace else. So um, here, here to help. And, and if you don't know your extension office in another county, we can definitely point you in that direction, too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Phyllis uh, is joining us from Harrisburg. Or she might be coming down soon. But. Yes, Phyllis is one of my newly fixing to graduate master gardeners who it lives here in Hernando County part of the year, but right now she's still up in Pennsylvania. 
And because we did it virtually, she was able to take the class, uh, participate in everything online. Uh, we did our once a week get togethers on Zoom where we did interactive games. Some of them got a little creative. I know wow. Lily, Lily, Lily created Florida Friendly Landscape Bingo, which was a lot Bingo. of fun. Mm -hmm. I created, it was a lot less um, uh, competitive than when we've done Florida Friendly Jeopardy in person. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Master gardeners are people who love to learn. That we, you challenge them with questions, they get a bit competitive. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So um, yeah, it's coming back in just a few weeks because I assume it's getting just too cold up there in Pennsylvania. My uh, sister lives about 40 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, and I got a picture of snow in her yard yesterday. Oh, my. <laughs> Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm Phyllis says it's 28 degrees up there, so yeah. that is way too cold for me. And most of our plant material does <laughs> yes, like exactly. degrees yeah. for a long yeah. period of time. Yes. <laughs> I have an interesting story when I was up in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's not that interesting. It just shows the difference between Florida and Pennsylvania. I was going into my sister's house, and she had a wheelbarrow sitting there, and it had rainwater in it. So without even thinking, my first reaction was I dumped the rain barrel water out because my Florida brain is thinking mosquitoes get rid of this standing water, right? But as soon as I did it, I thought, oh, well, it's, you know, late October. Maybe I don't have to worry that much about it here. But my sister saw me and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you for doing that. It's going to freeze tonight. I didn't want that water in the barrel. So it was still a good thing just for a completely different reason that my Florida brain came up with it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, things you don't have to worry about too much here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been pretty well drained or pretty well trained to dump that standing water in our yards. And Yes. Karen, our mosquito control lady's done a good job. Mm -hmm teaching us that well the great thing about many of the um the mosquitoes that we have here is they don't go very far from you know they sort of stay in in a in a relatively confined territory so that means that if you've got them on your property there's a good likelihood that they've been breeding on your property mm -hmm. so going around and looking for you know places where they're standing whether it's a a pot or a tire or a, a children's toys where water tends to stand is uh, you have a lot of opportunity to, to reduce their population by just managing what's going on in your own property. And those container breeders are the daytime fighters. So. Yeah, those tiger, the tiger mosquito mm -hmm. that holds their legs up and, you know, black and white stripes. Yeah. I don't know if you're looking that close when you're swatting it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they're splatted, that's when I yeah. Oh yeah, that was the tiger. Yeah, it used to be when you when I was a kid growing up up north, you could um, you knew it was time to go home, not because it was dinner time, but because the mosquitoes came out, and so <laughs> you know that was a, a really you know motivating factor. But you oh. know now in Florida we have them you know all the time during the day and at night, right? Yes. Oh gee, you know, so longer sleeves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fortunately, they're not too big of a problem where I live in my yard. Um, 
I guess I have neighbors that are fairly diligent about not collecting that standing water in their yards, which helps because, you know, BJ, like you said, they don't fly very far, but if your next door neighbor or the person who lives behind you has buckets and tires or a boat with a tarp over it that's holding water, you can get them. But if you do have a problem and you contact Hernando County Mosquito Control, they're more than happy to come out and look around your yard and give you suggestions and ideas what you could do to reduce them. And they are very nice and friendly and they'll go yeah. and talk to your neighbors if they have to and uh, ask them nicely to dump the standing water also. So they're a great resource. Yes, we have a wonderful uh, mosquito control board here as well. And, and they will, they provide that same service, come out to your property. And if they happen to see something over the back fence, they, they don't automatically go in there, but they will go knock on the door. So that helps um, to, uh, to minimize, especially if you have a smaller lot, you know, 300 mm -hmm. feet is about what those tigers will go. 300 feet could be a couple of yards if, Right. You have smaller You're in a mobile home community or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people still think that the, the um, solution to it is to call mosquito control and they'll send that truck down your street. And that's really, I know from working with mosquito control, that's the least effective way of getting rid of mosquitoes in your yard. Mm -hmm. yeah. And most and effective way also. They have to run it at night, and a lot, if you're being bit by daytime mosquitoes, they're not going to mm -hmm. do any good. They do all kind of testing to make sure um, how many mosquitoes are in an area before they're going to run that truck. And that test could include bait traps, or it could include their employees standing there counting how many mosquitoes get on their body. That's literally um, what happens. Also, that mosquito truck, um, as it's been explained to Bill and I, the pesticide that they use has to come in contact with a mosquito, you know, to in order to kill that mosquito. So it really is the least effective, but the, the EPA has come down on them. When I was growing up here, Bill likes to <laughs> ask me that, yes, the mosquito truck came on a regular cycle. Mm -hmm. now, other people followed behind it in its spray. I didn't. It seemed like I was always running from it, and it <laughs> seemed like it was going wherever I went. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't do that just as a regular routine anymore. There's a whole lot of other stuff. We talk about integrated pest management in extension. They follow exactly the same pattern. They call it integrated mosquito management. They just get more specific about it. But you do a whole lot of preventative measures before you bring out that pesticide. Right. And the and the pesticides that they're using today are much more environmentally friendly. They're not yes. as hard on unintended, you know, organisms and you know, birds and bees and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Um, our mosquito control folks say that the trucks are about 10% effective. So, um, you know, that, that plays into your comments that it's, it's sort of the last line of defense at, right. rather than the first line of defense, so. Yeah, because the um, uh, pesticides that they do use are effective on mosquitoes, but it is potentially harmful to other beneficial insects as well. I learned just recently, somebody asked me the question, do the mosquito control um, trucks when they come through your neighborhood, will that damage your population of air potato beetles? 
And I really didn't know the answer to that. So I had to contact FDAX, the people who actually raised the Beatles, and they said they haven't done any really deep research on it, but somebody did check and found that it does damage the population of air potato beetles, at least temporarily. So you always want to be careful using any kind of pesticides and make sure it's an appropriate one and really as a last resort. You want to take all the easy, safe steps first, like dumping the water, checking your gutters. There's a lot of places in your yard where you might have hidden water, and all you need is a tablespoon of water for mosquitoes to breathe in. It doesn't have to be a big bucket full or something like that. So we, you only want to use pesticides um, uh, carefully and you want to target it to just a specific problem and you want to use it as a last resort, not a first resort. You're kind of reminding me about 20 years ago um, at Extension, back in the trailer days, Bill, um, we <laughs> had a wonderful master gardener um, named Mitzi and um, she would tell me that she hated the phone calls that started with, what can I spray? So do I. And I know that's going to be a long conversation because you have to figure out what their problem is because people frequently don't even know what their problem is. They'll say, my bushes don't look right or my lawn doesn't look right. What do I spray? And then you have to kind of cut them off there and figure out, okay, what exactly is your problem? Is this something that could be, that is even an insect or disease related issue? Might be irrigation might be wrong plant in the wrong place. There's a lot of things that could be wrong. And yeah, that usually turns into a long conversation about mm -hmm. find, getting to the heart of the problem and then taking steps to solve it. And a lot of times I found that it doesn't even come down to a pesticide recommendation at that point. Although yeah. we, we always recommend that if the truck does come down your street, don't run behind the truck in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, I grew up <laughs> Your point, Bill, about knowing what the problem is that you're treating for is so important because folks have wasted money. Mm -hmm. The problem may have gotten bigger or worse, you know, while they were mistreating for a disease when it's a bug or an insect when it's none of those things, you know. And so, and in the meantime, you're unhappy with your landscape maybe to the point where there's, you know, it's uh, irreparable damage to the plant because you didn't know what it is. So I'm sure your office, like mine, is we always um, encourage folks to either bring us a sample, email us a sample. Pictures are so helpful for us to say, oh, well, you know, that sooty mold is not really a fungus. It's probably a piercing, sucking mouth part insect. So you've been putting a fungicide on and it's not doing anything to, to get rid of the original problem. So, so important to identify. Yeah, and we, we're able to tell an awful lot from pictures. So I know that since COVID started, we've been answering a lot more questions through people will call us on the phone and then they email us a picture, they share pictures on Facebook, they email us a picture directly through Facebook. So we can tell an awful lot from pictures, but sometimes we actually need a physical sample to look at under a microscope because some of these things are really, really small. Yeah. And Absolutely. I don't care how good your zoom is on your camera, you're not going to be able to pick up a fungus or something that we have to look at under a microscope. So here's my email address. If anybody has a lawn and garden question or problem, you ever want to send us pictures, 
you can just email me directly, contact our office, um, email us or contact us through Facebook. A lot of people have been doing that recently. That's a great way to get your questions answered. And if anybody on here today has any lawn and garden questions, feel free to ask. Just go ahead and jump right on in. And if it's a really hard question, I don't know the answer. I'll just ask BJ to answer it. <laughs> well, I already discussed with, with Bill a question I got this week sent to me um, through the UF system. You know, they send it to Gainesville and they then they send it out to the appropriate county. And it was just a question I've never gotten before, but um, somebody wanted to know what they can use to replace their silver thorn in a hedgerow because the silver thorn was full of skunk vine. And to me, that was kind of just like a weird, you know, question wrapped in as much vine as <laughs> the skunk vine, because the real question is about the skunk vine. And there's nothing you can put there that's going to resist the skunk vine. You put a fence, it's not going to resist, you know. So that's basically what I had to answer is that if you just want to take the silver thorn out, if that's your desire, um, you know, I really don't know how you're going to handle the skunk vine except with a total vegetation killer, and it's still not going to be 100% effective. My concern also was ripping up the hedges, loosening that soil. You're just going to make the skunk vine more aggressive, <laughs> you know, make it, you know, uh, more exposed to light or whatever, you know, bring up those old seeds and everything. And Silverthorn isn't the best hedge in the world, <laughs> but no. I said, because of its aggressive nature, it actually may thrive better with the skunk vine than some of the other, you know, you put baby bushes in there, you know, and you have a skunk vine infestation, you might be worse off removing them. So I don't know what your opinions are on that. So I would say that <clears throat> Silverthorn is not the best plant. And I believe that the university has identified it as an invasive. Mm -hmm. So, maybe a phased plan to, to um, get, you know, replace that, whatever screening they're trying to accomplish with that. Um, if they are digging them out, then they're, you know, they may be able to better reach down into the roots and get those big fat tubers that um, uh, are under there to, um, to reduce the population. And then in terms of seeds, I hadn't really thought of that so much, but with the seeds, maybe a pre-emergent herbicide, um, to keep them from sprouting might, might be, but, you know, persistence is your friend when you are trying to get rid of some of those very um, diligent invasives like skunk vine and, you know, smile axe and some of those others. Yeah. People yeah, I hadn't actually heard back and I was wondering if they were going to answer me back that, well, it's hard to pull because of the thorns. And then I was going to say, ah, oh, you don't have skunk vine. You have, you have green briar and smile axe, but I hadn't heard back from them yet. I actually never had skunk vine in my yard here in the Royal Highlands until, I don't know, I just noticed it a few months ago. <laughs> Amazingly enough, it looks like it's coming from the silver thorn that's been <laughs> in my yard, but I think it's coming from the neighbors. Um, so 
you know, I see the one little patch, so I'm trying to stay ahead of it. But, and I purposefully brought zero plants over 12 years ago from my Brooksville yard because I knew there wasn't any here and I wasn't going to be the one to bring it. But it really was only a matter of time, probably. Yeah, because it does flower and it does set little berries. And if I'm not positive if birds eat the berries, but I assume that they probably do. Mm -hmm. If the birds do eat the berries, then they carry it far and wide. I I have a lantana, an invasive lantana camara, growing amongst the boots of one of my palm trees because a bird <laughs> ate the berries from one of the empty lots around here and landed in my palm tree and pooped, and now I magically have a lantana popping up. So some people think, well, I keep these things contained in my yard. I make sure they don't spread to the woods or anywhere else. If they make a berry and they make a seed, birds are going to do the uh, dirty work for you and spread it all over. So it's best to, to pull them up and remove them whenever you can. People will ask me, what can I spray on skunk vine in my hedges to kill it and get rid of it? Nothing that's not going to kill the hedge also. There are no chemical treatments that kill skunk vine without killing the the silver thorn or whatever other kind of hedge you might have. Azalea. 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 They, love azalea. they absolutely love azaleas. Something about it, yes. And other than that, just go out every so often and just keep pulling and consider it stress release. That's all I know that you can really do is try and stay ahead of it and put it in a plastic bag and throw it away in your household. Well, put it in a couple of plastic bags and put it outside because it's not named skunk vine for no reason. It's named it for a very good reason. Right. Looks like, uh, I was going to say, it looks like Johanna has a question. Yeah, we have a question here from Johanna. Her basil has some black spots on the leaves. This plant has been growing in the same place for a year now. Should I just cut it down? Will it grow back? Or should I wait it out and add some nutrients? So who wants to take that one? Um, I'll start. Okay. Um, so, um, Basil uh, is one of those plants that seems to have some issues with fungus. However, there is another challenge that um, is pretty common as well. And I actually noticed last night on my basil is that they get a leaf miner that, that makes a black, the, the damage in between. So there's a little critter that lives between the, the layers of the, the, the top and bottom of the, the leaf and they make a pattern in there and that turns black as well. So again, that's one of those where we need to figure out, is it an insect or is it a disease? Um, so um, I would recommend definitely getting um, a couple of pictures to bill or to bring it in if that's um, a possibility uh, to check that out because the serpentine pattern on the, uh, you know, on a, a few random leaves of the basil, that's not a, a, a real problem. If it's a fungus, then you probably need to treat it. So, Yeah, my basil, uh, that's the blotch leaf miner, I believe. And that's a newer problem. I, I get it on my basil. It's a really, really common for anybody growing basil. You're going to get the blotch leaf miners on it. But with basil, basil is a warm season uh, herb. 
So if you're growing this outdoors, it's not going to do as well in the winter. And if it gets really cold, it can freeze and die. Basil, over time, when the plants get older, they, they start sending up the little flower shoots and the leaves get smaller. So I, for myself, I've always found the basil kind of short-term annual. So I would plant it. It comes up. It grows really big. It has nice big leaves. I pick it. I've started growing different types of basil and grinding, and grinding it up. So I actually have it in little jars to use year round. And I very quickly, as soon as those leaves, as soon as the plants start to send up uh, the flowers and the leaves start to get a lot smaller, I pull them up and start over again from seed because basil is really easy to start with seed. One of the easiest kind of beginner herbs to get to come up and grow. So chances, if you want to send me some pictures, that's great. But chances are what your basil has is the blotch leaf miner. Right. The other thing I like to do with basil at the end of the season, especially if it's doing really well, is, uh, you know, strip the leaves, wash them, you know, make sure there's nothing in there. And then I put them in the old fashioned um, uh, ice cube tray. Remember those? You can get them for a buck at the dollar store and, and put a little bit of water in there. And then I use those in like soups or something where the water will evaporate off. So it's another way to, um, to save basil because if, you know, if you grow basil, you usually have a lot of basil. And of course, there's always that wonderful pesto. So mm -hmm. several cups of, of leaves. So. Okay. And it looks like she's going to plant more again, which is great. There are a whole bunch of different varieties of basil that are all a little bit different. I grew lemon basil, which is really surprisingly lemony. That worked out really well. And cinnamon basil, which has a little bit more of an Italian basil kind of taste. So grow a lot of different varieties. Don't be afraid of trying to dry it and grind it because or freeze it. Those are good ways to preserve harvest so that you have it over a longer period of time. So Bill, next time you um, have your lemon basil growing well, put, uh -huh. it in a, put it in a butter cookie recipe. Oh my goodness. Does that really add an interesting punch? Really okay, good. I'll have to try that. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I've this tried a, a recurring theme. Food. A recurring thing keeps coming up. Um, when I was doing a class yesterday with Frank Galdo, who's the does the same job I do, but in Pasco County, Pasco, right. and he had we were doing talking about holiday plants, and he had a couple recipes that he shared. It seems like we're leaning towards maybe there should be some um, recipe classes or or cooking classes going on, Doctor Lester. Let me. Cooking with the herbs that you grew. Or he, he shared a recipe for um, a drink with sorrel, you like a holiday drink, and also how to make like a cranberry sauce out of it. It doesn't have quite the, you know, that zing that cranberries have. So it's, it's on my Facebook page in the comments under the recording of the class if you're interested. Okay. Well, we may have to talk about starting a virtual uh, weekly cooking show then, I guess. There you go, yes. Cook, cooking with extension, how's that? There you go, or at least once a month or something. That would be. Yeah, no, that's a great cool. idea. As long as we get to sample the recipes, so. So I know that uh, Mrs. Lester shares some wonderful uh, concoctions that Dr. Lester comes up with. So, you know, I think this is a direction that we're going <laughs> 
<laughs> you just have to not be afraid to experiment. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Just try again. <laughs> just like gardening. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. We have one of my favorite uh, common questions here. How does a person redirect moles out of one yard? Moles and gophers, we get those questions. There is no easy answer to that. There is no magical cure. There's nothing you can spray in your yard that makes them magically fly away or run away or disappear. Uh, BJ, what do you tell people when they have a problem with mold? <laughs> well, <laughs> there is a good eat stock on it. Um, so if you go to the university's um, search engine for EDIS, uh, E-D-I-S, then there is a publication about some um, traps and, uh, but um, I've never really found any of the, um, the sprays or repellents to be effective. The sound you know? things. Right. Yeah. So that's that's just a tough one we've got really tough questions today there aren't easy answers to some of these questions and i think it is illegal to put various poisons or mothballs or i heard of someone well i don't even say what they did but they uh you know put something in the ground you wouldn't want to put in the ground anyway utilizing the corn cob as its conveyance you don't want to do any any of that the only thing i have heard master gardeners and Board agents say is really just keep tapping down their their houses, just keep oh. annoying them, annoy them to the neighbors. <laughs> you know, I always found that to work. There's a there's a dozen old wives' tales about chewing gum and dryer lint and hair and dog fur and all kinds of stuff. If you go out there and just keep uh, pushing pushing down their tunnels and annoying them, I think you annoy them so badly they go to the neighbor's yard and then problem solved. Yeah, they're out of your yard. So, oh, we had a gopher last year in the in front of our office, the little lawn area we have, and he was there for a couple months. And I would see his tunnel as he circled around the property. And one day, boom, he just disappeared. Yeah, they do go away on their own. Yeah, or snake, or died of natural causes, but they don't. They won't live in your yard forever. They're not going to be there 10 years from now. They tend to be right. a temporary problem. Then I think when we tell people just to keep annoying them and tapping down, you know, and moving them around, I think really all that we're doing is occupying the human <laughs> and until yeah. until the uh, mole or the gopher moves on and they think they've accomplished something. It's great exercise, little little yeah. dance while you're doing on the on Yeah, the, there you go. Kathy Black uh, mentioned in the chat box that when she had three dogs that kept the moles away, I have seen neighbors sure yeah. who have uh, their dogs have been diggers and they will find them and pull them out. Mm -hmm. So that, that is another way. Or scare the, just scare the uh, moles away, you know, cause they know there are predators there. Yeah, I I'm sure Bill doesn't them. have any with his two huskies and your, Whatever Harley is. <laughs> oh, yeah. You wouldn't want them to find one above ground in the backyard. But I know somebody who had a dog, and it was some kind of terrier or hunting dog. And she, said, and she had a large piece of property. 
and it would stop and it would listen intently until it heard a, it could hear a molar gopher uh-huh. and it would dig, 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 and pluck it right out of the ground. So, wow. So they're, not the, they're not the most uh, attractive looking critters. No, I mean, they are important in the environment. Um, Underground. In the soil. Uh, what is it? Is it moles or gophers that just eat grubs and worms and things like that? So I think it's moles and gophers do eat like the roots of your grass. Yeah. Southern pocket. Southern pocket gophers. We're talking about the actual rodent. We are not talking about um, gopher tortoises at all. Yeah, that's a totally different animal. Yes. Right. So is it a good idea to have bird feeders and a butterfly garden in the same area? Uh, well, you know, lots of people do, but yes, your caterpillars are going to be eaten by the birds. But not all. You know, it's I mean, it's going to happen in nature, I would yeah. think. I think we've all had plants that are um, the host plant for certain caterpillars. And if the natural um, selection of butterfly of birds doesn't come and eat some of them, then your plant is all the way down to the ground. I've got some plants right, right now that are just like little sticks and um, could use a little thinning, you know, of the caterpillars. Yeah. yeah, I know a lot of people are actually trying to plant plants to raise large numbers of caterpillars in their yard now. Naturally, you can only have just so many caterpillars together because what happens is too many caterpillars makes the populations of wasps go way up and the wasps will carry away the caterpillars and put them in their nest and lay their eggs in it. And too many caterpillars can cause an outbreak of different viruses and natural diseases in the environment. So you can only have so many caterpillars all at once in your yard without something happening to knock down the population of caterpillars. It's all that natural balance that's trying to happen out in your yard. And if you throw one thing out of whack too badly, something else kicks in. And I know many people with big hearts who they like to raise, especially like monarchs. And then, you know, I know this one lady who loves to raise monarchs, but she then, you know, goes on about she hates wasps and she hates these words and those words. And I don't think, you know, when you want to help nature, it's not all that healthy for nature, for one thing, for you to then take sides. I mean, it's all kind of <laughs> taking sides. <laughs> yeah. We'll start singing the circle of nature, you know. A lot of people, they keep their monarchs inside and protected and all this. But I think just doing it out on the uh, in the yard, let the circle of life happen, you know. Yeah. Unless yeah. you don't want to attract something for, you know, yeah. uh, demonstration purposes. Yeah, that's not really yeah. the way to go. I mean, maybe you don't want the bird feeders with a ton of, you know, you don't want to attract hordes and hordes of birds right exactly where your butterfly garden is. But 20 feet over or something, I mean, what's going it, you know, nature is going to happen, <laughs> basically. And lizards, lizards will eat caterpillars also. There's lots of things that naturally eat caterpillars. 
So it all kind of works together out there in your backyard to keep everything in balance. And now is the time if you have, since we're talking about that, if you have the sleepiest Ursavaca tropical milkweed that you get like in any store that's mm -hmm. not a native. And yes, that BJ's telling you what to do right there. But now is the time if you haven't already go out and cut it down to the ground even if it looks super duper fine, because the reason is it doesn't know to go down in the winter like our native milkweeds know, you know, just. And what happens is you're gonna keep those monarchs around here. You're gonna trick them into staying around here. And if we have a freeze, they're gonna die. Also, if they keep, you know, uh, laying eggs and having caterpillars and then the caterpillars hatch out, even if it's a beautiful sunny day in January, February, whatever, what are they going to nectar on? So we really, it's not butterfly rearing time right now. Yeah. So, and yes, I know it gets cold in Mexico, but when they're all huddled together, but thousands of, of them die too, yeah. <laughs> you know, in that situation. Um, so what we recommend is if you have the tropical milkweed, that's the one with the multicolor in the flowers, go out right after this, chop it down and keep it chopped down until beginning of March or mid-March, somewhere around there, and then let it grow back. That's what we they're recommend. Tough, they'll come back. They're really tough, really durable plants. They're hard to kill. Right. I think we missed a question from Teresa Sonberg. Oh, there you go. Right here. Yep. I was just waiting because that's kind of a different direction. See, we kind of go all over the place here. There we are. Avocado question. <laughs> so Teresa says her neighbor has a one-year-old avocado plant grown from her avocado purchased at a fruit stand. She wants to know where is the best place in her yard to plant this. Um, you can grow avocados, obviously, from the pits. It's a great, you know, thing to do with the kids. And a lot of times it will sprout and they will turn into an avocado tree. It's going to take a number. If you really want to try to get avocados from it, it may take a number of years. Unless you live in Homestead, it takes a lot less time there because the avocados grow like big weeds down there in South Florida. It depends on where you live, because if you are like Hernando County on north, avocados are most likely going to freeze, especially a small young one. Do you have any avocados in Citrus County that people actually get fruit off of? Um, I'm not aware of that, but, you know, I think that we are sort of right on that line. And if you have yeah. a protected location or the microclimate that your home is in, tends to be warm then um like near the you know near a water body or something that tends to moderate those temperatures it, it could probably work but we are definitely at that northern end of the line so if you try it and it doesn't work uh you know and it freezes out in the winter it's not you it's the weather but yeah. we have been definitely trending towards more um um warmer a tropical plant in the last few years because the last eight or so winters have been relatively mild. And although we do get a freeze every winter, the, the duration is short and the temperatures are not extreme lately. 
So uh, I don't have a perfect crystal ball to know whether that's going to be the new norm or whether it is um, just, you know, been a fluke of a few winters. But I, I do see a lot of things that normally wouldn't have grown well here that that have ended up in people's landscape and are doing well. So, uh, you know, trial and error, I guess. It's, it's certainly they don't have anything invested in it because they got to eat the avocado. So now this yeah, is all yeah. right. And um, I was mentored by a, a fellow gardener who said a gardener is, isn't is worth their weight unless they have at least 10% new things each year trying. So uh, so that's one of those new things to try. See how well yeah, it does. If, she, if uh, your neighbor puts it in their yard in a full sun location, that'd be fine. And like I said, if you live in a county that's south of here, you're going to have a greater chance of success than if live in a county that's north of here, Fernando County. Yeah. How well did they do in Pasco, BJ? Great. Yeah, okay. in Pasco, they do quite well. In fact, there was, uh, I appreciate that that pitch there, um, Lily, because there was three in our, um, you know, not too far from us that were basically wild in this field. And we always went every every year and, and you know, shimmied up the tree and dropped them down and got them. But there is a disease that is now carried by a beetle and it had um, it is killing things in that family plants in that family so my three trees that I could always count on going to with the kids and and buckets and and getting free avocados that tasted wonderful those trees died in about a one month period so they went from looking okay and then bam the next time i drove by they were deader than doornails so just the problem um throughout florida mm -hmm. so and some of the other plants that are in that family that are native um, go all the way up to the state the georgia state line so um you know that that's a possibility there i don't know that there's good controls out for that yet that's the ambrosia we're, we're working on that yeah that's yeah. the red bay ambrosia beetle yeah. and, with, and the bay trees yeah is what it <clears throat> the bays that are native yeah they're yeah. so beautiful but yeah yeah they're, they're being affected and i see that all over as well and when they run out of bay trees they go for the avocados yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Which is going to be a problem in South Florida where they have it as an industry. It is right now. <laughs> and they're doing a lot of work and research on it. Um, but they're not quite there yet. Finding, uh, an effective control for it. And, and Bill has a graphic where the ambrosia beetle can fit on Lincoln's nose on a penny. <laughs> it's it's yeah. that small, yeah, but it's, 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 a, beetle. it's a small beetle. Yeah. So we have something a little bit different about chicken poop. So Johanna yeah. said she saved some chicken poop, was letting it dry for three days when all that rain came around. I forgot to cover and the smell was terrible. I can imagine. I spread around some plants and watered it more. Now I am worried that it might have been more harmful than beneficial. Now it doesn't smell, but I'm seeing the soil got really solid. So what? Yeah. What are we talking ornamentals or edibles? Yeah, I was going to ask that. You would yeah. never want to do that around any kind of edible plants. If you're going to use any kind of animal manure, that's chicken manure, horse manure, cow manure. What else do people have now? Goats. Goats are very popular. Rabbits. 
you need to compost that thoroughly. And we have information on how to go about composting it thoroughly so that it's safe to use around edible plants. Now, Three days is not enough. If you're going to spread it around um, azaleas or your viburnums or your roses or something like that, that's different. And Johanna very quickly says it's on her trees. So that's good. You know, you're not going to be eating the trees. So that's hopefully safe. You want to wash your hands very, very well after you're done dealing with it. Because any kind of animal manure can contain really nasty pathogens. And chicken manure is famous for containing salmonella. So you always want to show good hand washing, good sanitation. If you're working around that at all. Uh, I, would, I would still, I mean, I would think three days is not enough. I mean, you know, it might be still very high in nitrogen or something, you know, like it could burn the plant is what I'd be concerned with. Yeah, because chicken manure is very hot when it composts, you take it and it gets wet and you spread it. It's probably dried and now looks kind of like dried clay or concrete. Um, you probably have to go back in and break that up and try to work it in the soil as best you can. It'll break down over time. In the long run, it'll be fine. And you probably don't want to use raw manure around those uh, any kind of peppers because even though peppers aren't growing right on the surface of the ground, when it rains really hard, anything on the surface of the soil can splash up onto the foliage, the peppers, tomatoes, you grow them, and other vegetables. So we recommend that you're going to use indoor on any kind of edibles. You learn how to compost properly. That's going to make sure it's hot, checking the temperature, waiting a certain amount of time. There are ways to do it safely, but if you contact our office, more than happy to do that kind of information. So. And also, uh, if you live in Hernando County, um, you might be interested in one of our compost workshops as well. So um, ask when you call, ask about that. If you live in Hernando County, um, the Solid Waste Division, if you attend a workshop, um, we'll, we will get a compost bin for free. You do have to be a resident of Hernando County, and there is only one per household. And our next workshop is going to be, I believe, December uh, 5th, which is a Monday at 10 o'clock, with pickup of the bins the following Wednesday at the Master Gardener Nursery. So um, you can email Dr. Lester, he can forward it to me and I will send you all the information you need about that. That is also going to be a rain barrel workshop. It's a combination. And we can send you all of the information about that. But it does to me sound like, you know, you can use your manure, but I would fully compost it before I would spread it, especially on edibles. <laughs> So, and also just with your dealing with it and your working with it, like, like Bill said. Right. Yeah, you know, compost, if you've got it, you know, you want to use it, but um, especially chicken manure can be quite hot when it, and burn plants when it, um, so, you know, if you got in that situation and you really needed to get rid of it, if you were to dilute it quite a bit and then almost use it as like a compost tea, you know, with, you know, 
10 times more water than compost kind of thing so that it it doesn't have that um, <clears throat> very, you know, potentially negative effect on the plant. And I don't think you need to add extra soil to it. Um, but you do, if it has caked in such, in, as I think it was mentioned, then I would try to break that up. Yeah. And here is uh, the link to the pocket gopher publication. We were talking about gophers and moles earlier. So if you just Google U University of Florida, EDIS, E-D-I-S, either pocket gophers or moles, depending on which one you're having to deal with. Or maybe both. Maybe I've never known of anybody to have both of them at the same time. No, at the same time. Yeah, they must not. They must be territorial or something. Yeah, I guess they don't play well together. And <laughs> people will think that they have like twenty of them living in their yard. They are territorial, so I think, and I can't remember how much room each one needs. It's only one per acre or one per couple acres. So if you have a normal residential yard and you see tunnels, holes, you only probably have one. So don't and, yeah, as you mentioned, up. you mentioned the dogs. If your dog, you know, looks like they're going insane and just kind of looking at the ground and hopping, you know, that they are probably tracking some kind of mole or something under there. Yeah, terriers are greeted to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, terriers, that's what they're bred for, is finding mm -hmm. small animals that live in holes. <laughs> Which yes. for a homeowner can be annoying because our dogs are always like on the prowl for anything alive in the backyard they can mess with or play with or whatever. <laughs> I don't actually take them out hunting for gophers or mold. You know, that maybe I could train one of the dogs to do that. And New service. Yeah. yeah. That's a, look at all these great ideas we're getting today. Cooking yeah, I'm just wondering or, though if the dog digging it out is doing, you know, more damage. More damage. Than yeah, yeah, that could be. <laughs> so Annie, I remember Annie is one of our regulars. Good morning. How are you? And she asked, Lily, I don't know if you're on for this one with the pictures of the papaya with the really um, uh, distorted leaves. Yeah. I believe what yeah, we were wondering if it was an herbicide damage. An herbicide, but also papaya ring spot virus. Right. Yes. Because I looked it up and I found a picture that looked almost exactly like Annie's picture of her leaves that she sent there. Really small, distorted um, leaf that's really kind of twisted and curled a little bit. And papaya ring spot is a fung is a uh, viral disease of papayas is very common in florida it's spread by white flies i believe and white flies are really common if you have papayas they're really hard to keep off and if you have any plant a tomato plant or a papaya or some kind of plant that's susceptible to viruses and it gets a virus there is no chemical control there's nothing that can get rid of it or fix it you're going to have usually the best idea is to remove the plant because otherwise white flies could move that virus from your infected plant to your other healthy papayas. So I'm pretty almost positive from the pictures you shared that that was some kind of virus, uh, papaya ring spot virus. 
So, I wasn't familiar with that. I just Googled it. That is, uh, that could definitely look like herbicide damage. Yeah. <clears throat> Very contorted. Um, parts of it shrunken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a growth inhibitor or something. Yeah. Now, I remember that she had other, it was just one that had a problem. The other ones looked fine. So yeah, if the other ones look fine and they're getting new foliage and growing back in, that's great. Even if the one with the twisted distorted leaf, if a plant is damaged by a little bit of uh, herbicide overspray, it will get spots, it will become twisted and distorted. A lot of times the plant can outgrow it if it didn't get too much spray on it. If it got too much spray, it could kill the entire plant. So sometimes with a little bit of herbicide damage, we tell people to be patient and wait and see if the plant grows out of it. What also might happen is the plant might die from it. There's really nothing that you can do to undo herbicide overspray damage. So yeah. glad to hear that your other papayas are doing well. I have some papayas that I started from seed. They're, I don't know, they're about this tall now, a couple inches mm -hmm. high. So, so they're going to be ready to go out in my backyard in the spring. I'm going to keep them in the pots for the rest of the winter, though, here, because if it gets yeah. cold, I need to be able to bring them in. So Annie, like all the rest of us, got plenty of rain from that tropical storm. Um, I'm sure that uh, papayas really like lots of water, lots of fertilizer. They're little plants you just want to with them you want to pour on the good care and make them grow like crazy to get to the point where they flower and get papayas free depending on where you live if you're in south florida you don't have to worry about them freezing if you're here in hernando county they freeze here you have to get into the teens for your papayas to freeze and when bj was saying we haven't had it hasn't been cold in quite a while and i yeah. would say oh eight was the last real winter we probably had. So those of, you know, and many people are new within the last decade or 12 years or so. So I always tell them, well, you know, we can have much more of a winter than you have ever experienced here in Florida. You know, Hernando, Hernando Citrus, you know, 17 is not unheard of. Right. Oh, yeah. You're, Mm -hmm. You're warm. You're warming in your bed, but you know your plants <laughs> might be, be suffering. So, is that ever going to come back? You know, like BJ says, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know, but it could. It very well could. So you do have to, if you're going to experiment with tropical plants, just know it's an experiment. That's all. Be aware that those cold winters can happen. Yes. So several people are saying that they're hearing um, some feedback. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's anything that can be done about that. I think, yeah, that's their shared office space is what that is. Well, it is us. As I hear it, I can hear there. It's almost a, a delayed echo there. Oh, yeah. You could have that issue if you're using multiple screens or not using multiple screens. So here we have another question. 
Well, kind of a follow-up question from Andy on the papayas here. Um, so the group discussed lawn care services and a long story short, I let them go. I will let weeds grow on my small lawn. I was upset with whatever the company put on the grass. Wind must have blown it onto the papaya. And that is possible. You don't need to have like gale force winds to blow chemical sprays around. I know in our green industries, best management practices training, um, if you have just like I think a three mile an hour breeze, it can blow a fine spray, you know, a number of feet. So you have to be very, very careful with that. She has a butterfly garden too. Um, so she's happy for the nudge she got from us guys inspired me to let the lawn care go. You really need to work with a company that you're going to be happy with and tell them what your goals and requirements are and make sure they're on board. I know, there are some good companies out there that work well with people and everything works out really well, but you have to tell them what you're comfortable with having put in your yard and what your goals are because it kills me when I talk to people and they say my lawn service came and sprayed something. Well, what did they spray? I don't know. Right. Well, you need to find out from them what they spray. They said, I'm afraid to ask because they might yell at me. It's like, this is your yard. You have a right to know what they're putting in your yard. Who's and the boss? Who's <clears throat> paying them? That's what it boils down to. And exactly. you do tend to get intimidated by them, but you got to ask, wait a minute, who's paying them? I'm the boss here. So <laughs> Exactly. And if it's something that has a really long, complicated name and you don't know what it is, contact extension. We can tell you what that um pesticide or herbicide or fungicide or whatever chemical spray is or look it up online do a little due diligence a little research and make sure it's something that you're comfortable with having used in your yard make sure it's the proper time of year for it there's you know in the dead of winter there's no point spraying for chinch bugs because they're not out and active in your yard they're all dormant or like in the eggs and they haven't hatched yet in the spring so get involved and be a part of helping to um take care of things in your yard and work with your service don't hire them and figure that they're going to come out and just wave a magic wand every 30 days and cure all your problems you really need to be involved in what's going on so so annie i'm glad to hear that worked out really well for you um hopefully your butterfly garden and papayas are going to do great during the winter um I can't remember where you live. I think it was maybe Pinellas County, somewhere south of here. So it's a little bit mm -hmm. warmer. Your, your papaya should do fine this winter. Yeah. And, and also when you're looking for a company, just beware of the words Florida friendly because anybody can use that. I mean, the University of Florida has trademarked, you know, two capital F's with a dash, you know, to, in, um, to say that is the educational program that I teach um, and that, you know, is taught in every county, but people have, they can take any variation of Florida friendly and name their company that, and you're still going to have to question them. Just don't go on that. Like just, just using that name means that they are, you have to educate yourself and find out if they really are Florida friendly. That there, is there's a lot of ways to get information on any service you're thinking about hiring. I know that you can go online now, you can look for reviews on companies and services. 
you know, sure, there might they might have a bad review or two on there from a disgruntled customer. So you have to kind of take it all with a grain of salt. I know before we ever hire or look at anybody for doing any work here at our house, my wife always, you know, checks them out very carefully online. So there's a lot of resources that you can use to to make sure that they have lots of other happy customers. Because I know that at my house, I get a fairly steady stream of people knocking on the front door with a pickup truck and equipment hanging out of the back. And they're like, hey, do you want your palm trees trimmed? No, <laughs> I'll take care of it. I don't know who you are. I don't know what if you know how to do anything with palm trees. I don't know if you have insurance or not. I don't want you to fall in my front yard. So you want to check these things out and do your due diligence to hire the right people the first time. And that way, everything's going to work out. It's going to be good for them, more business for them. And good for you. you're going to get the kind of um, end results that you're looking for. They probably noticed that lantana in your palm and figured someone needs to take care of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be. <laughs> I would say, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, talking about this time of the year and services is that, um, you know, watering is also a key component to the performance of, of landscape plants. And so sometimes it's not something that your service is taking care of. It could be something else like your irrigation. And certainly now that it's cooling off and we're all enjoying that uh, nice weather for gardening and being outside with walking our dog or whatever, um, is definitely the time to skip a week. So um, I don't know what your ordinance, if you have an ordinance that, that affects this, but here in Citrus County, um, we uh, reduce our watering um, when the plants are growing more slowly and they don't need that much water. Um, in fact, it can actually reduce the incidence of diseases in the winter on our turf grass. So cut back on the watering um, to maybe every once every 10 to 14 days. So you can, um, or just turn it off, especially, you know, this month is I believe November is the month when we get the supposed to historically get the least rainfall. And yet yeah. with Ada, we, Ada, we certainly got a lot, but um, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, so keep that in mind that um, you know, the performance of the landscape is contingent upon all these various pieces. And in the winter time is one of the times when folks, um, you know, either forget to change their irrigation system or don't really know how, if you don't really know how to change it, turn it to off, or to manual and then just turn it on when it needs it on your day, you know, follow those. We don't want anybody getting in trouble, but um, you know, know that plants have a lot more latitude um, to, to be, be less watered less frequently. Obviously if you're putting in a few annuals or something like that, vegetables is a little different, but we use the vast majority of our water on turf and um, irrigation mm -hmm. systems on turf. So turn those back until it warms up again in the spring. And it's totally normal for your lawns to begin to slow down, go dormant during the winter. Both St. Augustine and Bahia are going to turn tan. And no matter how much water you put on it, you're not going to make it green and beautiful like a golf course until the spring comes around when the days get longer, it gets sunnier and warmer and starts to rain. So just kind of go with the flow and cut back on the water. Your lawn's going to do just fine during the winter without having to water it all the time. They're golden, Bill. They're golden lawns that we have in the winter. Gold. Okay, I guess 
tan has a bad connotation. Yes, we have golden gold. waves of bronze in the winter. <laughs> okay, and Annie is in Hillsborough County. I remember that she was somewhere south of here. So hopefully your butterfly garden and papayas are going to do just great this winter. The papayas, my guess is, are going to slow down in their growth depending on the weather. I mean, heck, we have really warm winters. We have really cold winters. And I never know what's going to happen until two, until I turn the weather on in the morning and they tell me, you know, freeze tonight or 85 tomorrow or whatever it might be. So, so if anybody has any last minute questions, go ahead and pop them in right now. And if you live in Citrus County and you have any questions for BJ about lawn and garden questions or irrigation or anything else there is their office number you can give her a call and feel free to give us a call and our master gardeners are here each day weekday um answering questions as well so if i'm off teaching or doing a virtual plant clinic they are here to help you as well and you can also call our office, but you're almost never going to get a hold of me there at the office because I too am running around. I've had to go and do um, inside, um, in-person, you know, lawn and turf uh, checks and different subdivisions that we're working with, uh, teaching a few vegetable gardening classes at the Welcome Home Education Center. So the best way to get a hold of me is if you call the office. Talk to Teresa and she'll get a message to me. Or normally, the best way to get a hold of me is by email. So just go ahead and shoot me an email, send me some pictures, send me your question. We'll get it figured out for you. And if you'd rather ask Lily those really difficult questions, <laughs> or you want to know about Rain Barrel Workshops, this is the, uh, mm -hmm. the Lily place with two L's. Yes. yes. Well, don't thank contact you, BJ. Lily about <laughs> contact Lily about the rain barrel classes. And if they want information, if they're a Hernando County resident and they want information about the uh, compost, compost class, can they get a hold of you? You can put them in touch. Sure. Oh, yeah, because we're combining those classes and I'm taking the registration. Um, so you can attend by attending both workshops. Or by picking, I only want a rain barrel, I only want a compost bin. And the same link, you know, you'll hear both workshops depending on when you come in. It'll be done via Zoom. And then like a day or two later, you go to the Master Gardener Nursery for the pickup of these items. That's the best, safest COVID way we can think um, to handle the rain barrel situation. And um I like it because the parking lot is kind of one way in, one way out. It helps me really know the right person got the item, you know, the rain barrel or the compost bin. And, but it also works with our partnership with the Master Gardeners because if while you're there, you want to buy some plants, we're not going to, <laughs> we're not going to stop you, right, Bill? Exactly. They're more than happy to, to show you the plants that we have for sale. Everything there is either Florida friendly or native. Of course, native is Florida friendly also. I to say that, yes. Um, yeah. I think the last I heard was they had 20 some odd varieties of native plants there. So they have a really good selection of native plants. And they don't use pesticides. Yes, they generally don't have to use pesticides. We have very few pest problems. 
And the few things in the past that we had lots and lots of problems with, we used to have problems with the canna lilies. Mm. They get the leaf rollers. Of leaf rollers on them, and they were always mm. they always look terrible. We quit carrying cannas, so problem solved. There you go. <laughs> yes. They figured that was just the simplest way to fix that. We'll just get rid of the cannas. We we went ahead and sold them all, and we didn't get more. So if you have cannas in your yard and during the summer, things are chewing the leaves, get a hold of us. We can tell you what they are and what to do. But the master gardener solved it by getting rid of them and just, you know, moving on. to. Something. I like that. That's my favorite way of doing it. Like if a plant has a problem that I always tell people, just cut that part off, <laughs> you know, and that usually solves it 90% of the time. Or if the plant is the problem, I guess they just <laughs> cut the plant out. <laughs> so oh, that'd be a great place. The really in high the things, they got to go. The, uh, yeah. they, and in the spring, when you want to start your butterfly gardens again, that's a great place to go to get butterfly plants that you know have not been treated with any kind of uh, pesticide because it really makes zero sense <laughs> to get butterfly plants that have a systemic pesticide built into them. Mm -hmm. So, And you have to be careful of that in the big box stores. Yes, you do. So I don't see any other questions on here for this morning. So BJ, thank you so much for joining us. Good to see you, BJ. Same here. Really enjoyed uh, talking gardening with you this morning. Yeah, see, streaming art is, is pretty easy once you get used to it and kind of get into the flow. And like I told you, once somebody asks a question, people just keep on going and they ask about everything imaginable, which is great because we're here to, to help answer all your lawn and garden questions. And if we, if I don't know the, you know, if you're asking about coconut palms and I don't know the answer, I'll call somebody down there in South Florida, because because mm -hmm. I got friends, I know people, yeah. and BJ knows people also. So if if you are listening from other counties, though, we do encourage you contact your county extension office. Every county has one, and they are there. You know, just look it up. You know, whatever county you are, Duval County County Extension Office. Mm -hmm. Find the information, give them a call, see what they have to offer for you. Like a, I get a lot of calls from um, Hillsboro about wanting rain barrels or compost workshops. Well, I, you know, I look it up and they are having them there in Hillsboro. So you're welcome to mine, but why come up from Sefner or Tampa when you have it right, at right in your, your location? Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah, one last thing I want to point out. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we will not be on next Thursday. Yes, we yeah. will be, we'll be busy working on recipes for our new virtual cooking show. I guess. <laughs> there you go. I'm in. <laughs> okay. okay, so you heard it. You're going to be one of the first guests on that one. So I, I think I'm going to seriously think about that one. That sounds. I like think that's a good idea. You've got a good kitchen set up and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to play with a mobile camera and we can actually show what we're doing and everything. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. We can do Nora it. Can be, yeah. Nora can be your official taster. <laughs> uh huh. And the Huskies are always game. You know, they like yeah. everything. So. <laughs> so we will not be here next Thursday, but we will be here the week after that. And uh, Whitney, the county extension director in Pasco County, We'll be here with us that Thursday. Oh, so. That's fun too. I like all your guests. 
<laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Exactly. So, <laughs> Annie, we will see you in two weeks. And everybody have a really great Thanksgiving. And just take notes and save up all your questions for the week after. And we'll be back here at 10 o'clock Thursday morning. Be safe and be smart with your Thanksgiving. Exactly. And be, be yes. careful with properly thawing and cooking those turkeys also. So, yes. Okay. Well, thanks again, everybody. Uh, we will see you again in two weeks. Until then, we'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Happy gardening. <laughs>